Hey everybody, this is Fred Rachani of the TSC News Podcast here to present you guys with a special mini-series we did back in 2018, Greatest WrestleMania Superstars of All Time, Modern Era Edition. There's a couple superstars profiled that seem like obvious choices, and there's a few others that may surprise you. This is the entire series here uploaded for your listening pleasure right around the time of WrestleMania 36. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you're staying safe. I know it's a tough time out there for everybody, but I hope y'all are staying safe, staying focused, staying positive, staying humble, and staying grateful. If you could listen to this podcast right now, if you could open your eyes when you wake up in the morning, guess what? You're having a good day because all things considered, a lot of people aren't right now. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the TSC News Podcast. Just a couple programming notes. We just uploaded a ton of WrestleMania-related videos on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash thesportscourier. We'll be uploading our interview with Deadby Hall of Famer, the Godfather, over WrestleMania weekend, followed by our latest Deadby 2K DLC review and our annual WWE Network app review so you can find out if it's worth your money in 2020. And of course, we'll be having wall-to-wall coverage of WrestleMania 36. And of course, you can listen to it right here on the podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts, or on youtube.com slash thesportscourier, or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thesportscourier. We'll also have videos and coverage on our Instagram at TSC News. Until then, folks, sit back, relax, and enjoy this nice trip down memory lane of WrestleMania history. Is Brock Lesnar one of the greatest WrestleMania performers of all time? Well, I ain't gonna argue with that. What's up, folks? This is Fred Ricciani of TSC News, the sports courier. You're home for pro wrestling news updates, interviews, reviews, and everything in between. If you're new here, I'd appreciate you subscribing and checking things out. On this episode of Greatest Superstars in WrestleMania History, we cover the beast, Brock Lesnar, his legacy at WrestleMania. It is a unique one, it is an eventful one, and it is a legendary one. We go back to WrestleMania 19, his very first WrestleMania appearance, coming off of the greatest rookie year in WWE history other than maybe Kurt Angle's. He took on Kurt Angle in the last match, the main event of WrestleMania 19, back in 2003, Seattle, Washington, Safeco Field, a very underrated WrestleMania one of the lowest bought WrestleManias of all time, too. It was also a, kind of a downtime in the business. The same card as Steve Austin's last match against The Rock and Hulk Hogan versus Vince McMahon, as well as Triple H versus Booker T for the world title. This also actually had HBK versus Jericho for the first time. And by God, that was a great match as well. So if I can make a WWE Network recommendation, it is definitely WrestleMania 19. So Brock Lesnar took on Kurt Angle. This was a great match between two former standout amateur wrestlers, Kurt Angle, of course, being an Olympic champion, Olympic gold medalist, Brock Lesnar being an NCAA champion. Great match, but it's most remembered for its finish. Now, before we get to that, Kurt Angle had come into this match with a bum neck. Actually, a bum neck's probably the wrong word to use. Broken freaking neck. And what's insane is that this match actually went through. And at the time, people thought maybe Chris Benoit will take his place. Somebody else will. But no, it was Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar, despite the fact that Kurt Angle had a really bad neck and could risk paralysis. Needless to say, this match would have never happened if it took place in 2018. But the match was most remembered for the finish, which is Brock Lesnar going for a shooting star press. Now, hold, hold up, hold up, hold up. Now, you might be thinking to yourselves, wait, wait, wait Bro- Brock, Brock Lesnar? 
Shooting star press? What? Well, he actually successfully hit it many times back in developmental at Ohio Valley Wrestling prior to being called up to the main roster. So what better time than to showcase his generational, unbelievable athleticism than in the main event of WrestleMania? Here's the problem. Kurt Angle was a little far. Brock Lesnar was fatigued as all hell and sweaty. He went for it. And it was more or less a shooting star headbutt. Here's the problem. While Kurt Angle did sell it, Brock Lesnar crashed down right on his head. Damn, he, well, he concussed himself, but he damn near could have paralyzed or killed himself. Maybe the scariest moment in WrestleMania history. Brock Lesnar, lights weren't there. Lights were off in, the, in, the, in that townhouse. And he somehow had the wherewithal to hit the F5. As Kurt Angle walked him through it, got the pin, won the match, won the title. But he was just not all there. Uh, there's a documentary actually called The Mania of WrestleMania, which you can find on YouTube. It's on WWE Network, where Jesse Ventura narrated it. It was a behind-the-scenes look at WrestleMania 19. And it shows Brock Lesnar you know, looking, looking lost. Uh, he was throwing up. He, uh, what they didn't show, I think, in the documentary was him uh, being very agitated, kind of like a, like a King Kong, you know, just throwing people around. And, and Bruce Pritchard talked about this in his Something to Wrestle podcast as well, where Brock was just, he was like an uncaged animal, man. And uh, it was just a bad deal for him. The next year, 2004, WrestleMania 20, it was a dream match, Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg. But this was not a match people expected as far as what became of it in the ring. Stone Cold was the special referee. I thought this was going to be a great match, but it wasn't because the crowd, the New York crowd in Madison Square Garden hijacked the match. Brock Lesnar, he had told WWE a few days before, hey, I'm leaving, I'm going to the NFL. When in reality, Brock Lesnar just kind of wanted to get out of his WWE contract. He was tired of all the travel. He didn't want to become one of these broken down veterans, you know, clinging on to dear life. And I think in the back of his mind, he wanted to fight in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Now, this was before the UFC boom period, which would come a year later. But I'm sure it was in the back of his mind. Hey, you know, maybe I'll fight for UFC. Maybe I'll fight for Pride. And, of course, we all know he ended up going to the UFC and doing very well for himself, being one of the biggest draws of all time. But going into this match, it was known that he was leaving, going to the NFL. He did actually try out for the Minnesota Vikings. He didn't make it, but for a guy that didn't play football since high school, for him to nearly make a roster on the NFL... <laughs> Yeah, wow, that's just that just shows you the kind of athleticism this guy has and skills. But coming into this match, fans were resentful because he was leaving. Goldberg, final match in his contract, he was leaving. So the crowd didn't care. They booed the hell out of both guys. They just kind of did stuff. They waited and waited and stalled, and crowd just booed. Stone Cold looked so awkward out there saying, man, oh. And he's talked about it since then on his podcast that if he, if he was – there again put it this way if the match took place now and stone cold was the referee and it occurred the way it did stone cold would have hit the ropes himself and stunned both guys from the beginning which is you know what he's got on record as saying he would have done because that was just a bad deal and in the end goldberg pinned him one two three stone cold stunned both men horrible match and we didn't see brock lesnar at wrestlemania until 2013 wrestlemania 29 the, this had been a year into his uh, comeback, his second stint with WWE, facing off against Triple H. 
He drew very well with Triple H at SummerSlam 2012, defeating Triple H, breaking his arm, putting him out of action. And this match, I got to say, I was in attendance for this, was not very good. Brock Lesnar, Triple H, kind of slow, kind of plodding. And what didn't help matters in this match with Triple H was Brock Lesnar suffered a concussion at the beginning of the match. So the match was slow, plodding, boring. Nobody bought Triple H at the level of Brock Lesnar, although WWE damn well tried to equate them as the same. And uh, yeah, if you're keeping track at home, Brock Lesnar, WrestleMania 19, wins the undisputed title from Kurt Angle, but he concusses himself. WrestleMania 20, last match in WWE for a while. Horrible match. Loses. WrestleMania 29, suffers a concussion at the beginning of the match, and then he proceeds to Lose to Triple H, who was semi-retired at the time, and still is. Although, at least it was a no-DQ match, so he had some excuse. And he would later beat Triple H in their blow-off match inside of a steel cage at Extreme Rules. But the match that everybody actually saw, he was on the losing end, which is such a stupid booking decision in hindsight, like a lot of Triple H WrestleMania matches. And then we had WrestleMania 30. Not a great match by any stretch of the imagination against The Undertaker, but the aftermath was legendary. Brock Lesnar pinned The Undertaker to break the WrestleMania streak, end it at 21-1. and And it set forth an unbelievable run for Brock Lesnar, who would go on later that year to destroy John Cena in a squash match to win the world title at SummerSlam, go on to have a great triple threat match with John Cena and Seth Rollins, winning that match at Royal Rumble, and then have a kick-ass match with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 31, destroying him, coining the term Suplex City, before he was dethroned by Seth Rollins, where Seth Rollins actually cashed in the money in the bank and pinned Roman Reigns, not Brock Lesnar. So technically, he never lost the world title legitimately. But, wow. I couldn't believe it. But if there's any way to rehab Brock Lesnar from some inexplicable booking, where in 2012, in his return match, he lost to John Cena, and in 2013 at WrestleMania, he lost to freaking Triple H, this was the way to do it. Fans legitimately hated Brock Lesnar for breaking the Undertaker streak. And that's something he could hang his head on the rest of his career, the rest of his life. And at the end of the day, who's more legit than the former UFC heavyweight champion to break the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak, right? 2015 had the great match of Roman Reigns, was an awesome champion going into this match. And he ended up losing the title to Seth Rollins, but... Brock Lesnar never looked more badass than he did at WrestleMania 31. WrestleMania 32 had a hardcore match with Dean Ambrose. You could tell Brock Lesnar was not into this. 1F5 got the pin. This did no favors for Dean Ambrose. This wasn't a great performance by Brock Lesnar at all. And I think we kind of figured out why, because a few months later, he came back to the UFC and he fought at UC 200, defeating Mark Hunt. So I guess maybe he wanted to save uh, his you know, physicality for the UFC. I can't really blame him, considering he probably got paid several millions of dollars, but uh, the fans at home did not win, and Dean Ambrose definitely did not win in more ways than one with this match. And then WrestleMania 33, maybe his best match ever at WrestleMania. It was only a a few minutes long, but Brock Lesnar, Bill Goldberg, uh, a great feud that originally was supposed to be one match, and Brock Lesnar and and Goldberg were able to convince Vince McMahon, hey, bro, We can make a lot of money off of this. Let's extend this out. So they did. Survivor Series 2016. Goldberg just destroyed Brock Lesnar in two minutes. 
Then, in Royal Rumble in 2017, Goldberg eliminated Brock Lesnar. Following month, Fastlane, Goldberg pinned Kevin Owens to win the Universal Championship. And then going into WrestleMania, it was Brock Lesnar, Bill Goldberg, Universal title on the line. Just an insane match. Maybe the best match of the show. Just balls to the wall, all over the place. This felt like a fight between two of the most badass performers in wrestling history as far as how they've been booked, how they've been portrayed. Two absolute monsters, two killers. And Brock Lesnar got the win, won the Universal title. This probably should have been the last match. But it wasn't, but it's okay. It was, I, I, I personally think it was the real main event. And that caps off this episode of Greatest Superstars in WrestleMania History, Brock Lesnar Edition. Yeah, Brock, I ain't messing with you, bro. So now, at the time of recording this, Brock Lesnar is set to defend the Universal title that he won at WrestleMania 33 against Roman Reigns. Who will win? It's likely going to be Roman Reigns. I think it'll be a great match, but we'll see. There's rumors after WrestleMania 34 that Brock Lesnar may be leaving. Not for good, probably for the time being. Going back to the UFC, making a whole lot of money. Who the hell knows what happens, but all I gotta say is looking back at his career, his WrestleMania legacy is intact, it is safe and sound, and it is damn well legendary. We're gonna look back at the legendary WrestleMania career of The Undertaker. And going back in time, watching all these matches, I realized something. While The Undertaker is a surefire Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever do it, especially as a big man and enduring gimmick, man, oh man, was the first half of his WrestleMania career pretty damn rough from a match quality standpoint. Win-loss record, great. Who he beat, pretty damn impressive. But match quality in the ring, bell to bell, whew, it was rough, and I'd attribute it mostly to his opponents, okay? And, and the fact that with his gimmick, he didn't really have to sell or, you know, show any vulnerability. That's how he was booked and everything. But, yeah, it was, it was a little rough at the beginning. So let's start from the beginning. WrestleMania 7 taking on Jimmy Superfly Snuka. He defeated Jimmy Snuka in short order to start the streak at 1-0. This took place March 24th, 1991. Fast forward to April 5th, 1992, WrestleMania 8, defeating Jake the Snake Roberts. More or less, these two were glorified squash matches. WrestleMania in 1993, this was WrestleMania 9. This was a hemorrhoid of a match and a pretty bad WrestleMania overall, which featured Hulk Hogan at the end last minute, defeating Yokozuna. Uh, it's kind of stealing Bret Hart's moment. That It was not a good WrestleMania. That was the one that took place uh, in Caesars Palace, where Jim Ross and others were in togas. I mean, if you want to watch the show and cringe on WWE Network, by all means, but I would recommend it. He defeated Giant Gonzalez via disqualification. Uh, not a good match, but extended his streak to 3-0. WrestleMania 11 in 1995, he defeated King Kong Bundy, who was well over the hill at that point, to go 4-0. And then in March 31st, 1996, the home of the epic Iron Man match between Shawn Michaels and Bret the Hitman Hart at the Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim, California. We saw The Undertaker defeat Diesel in about 16 minutes, 46 seconds. And this was arguably the first good WrestleMania match of The Undertaker's WWE career. Good stuff here. Diesel, a.k.a. Kevin Nash, ended up going to WCW and forming a little-known group by the name of the NWO with Hulk Hogan and, and Scott Hall. 
You may have heard of him. Too sweet. We had 1997 WrestleMania 13. Not a good WrestleMania outside of a little classic match. Bret the Hitman Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Absolute classic. Classic double turn. Bret Hart turned heel and formed the Epic Hart Foundation. Stone Cold Steve Austin became a made man. And as they say, the rest is history. But the actual main event was The Undertaker versus Psycho Sid. Not a good match at all. Sid was coming into this match as the two-time WWE champion, the reigning champion. And The Undertaker got the win. And this was significant not only because Undertaker was in the very last match and he won the world title. But it it kicked off, I think, a very underrated 97 for Undertaker, who had a great five-month run as champion. And it was his first WWE title win in six years. He had captured the title back in 1991 from Hulk Hogan. And it's kind of crazy if you really think about it, right? He captured the world title, lost it six days later to Hulk Hogan at this Tuesday in Texas. And then he never held the world title for another six long years. And that's the crazy part about The Undertaker, right? He's a character that was booked so well, that was so well protected. And the guy behind the character, Mark Calloway, was so good at playing the character, being booked at the top, carrying himself like a top guy, that he really didn't need any type of championship. But this was a downtime in the business. Of course, Steve Austin not getting the win over Bret Hart, but being made a star in the match with Bret Hart. Started to, started to help turn business around, not just in the ring and with the fans coming in, but creatively. And I thought Undertaker, again, was a very underrated and strong champion in 1997, and that definitely kept things interesting. And then we go on to 1998, WrestleMania 14, defeating Kane in his WrestleMania debut. Uh, this match, I don't know if it's aged that well. This took place at the Fleet Center in Boston, Massachusetts. I thought it was a pretty good match at the time growing up as a kid. You know, two two behemoths colliding. Nowadays, with fans being a little jaded and seeing Kane for all this time and Undertaker all this time, I'm not really sure if this match holds up that much. But at the time, when Kane was booked like an absolute monster and he didn't know what he looked like and he had the burned face, so to speak, and he was, you know, Undertaker's brother and Undertaker apparently killed his parents. I mean, this was some pretty powerful stuff leading into WrestleMania 14. We had a horrible oh horrible oh my god my eyes are burning just thinking about how i watched this earlier undertaker versus the big freaking boss man now big boss man is one of the best big men of all time in pro wrestling and and god rest his soul he has uh, passed away dead be hall of famer and uh he's a guy who really really deserves a a lot a lot of credit he had a great feud with hulk hogan back in the day did some good stuff but here 1999 Kind of over the hill. Uh, wasn't a good match at all. And at the end, uh, Big Boss Man was hung from the Hell in a Cell. Or hung from the top. Yeah, hung from the top of the Hell in a Cell. Like, literally hung. Which is kind of creepy now that the guy passed away. Granted, he didn't pass away via, you know, that. But uh, it was it was creepy. It was very creepy. It was, it was very awkward. The match wasn't good. Uh, n- no bueno. Hell in a Cell matches at WrestleMania... Mm, a hit or miss, and this was definitely a miss. 2001, he went 9-0, defeating Triple H, WrestleMania 17 at the Royal Astrodome in Houston, Texas. Arguably the greatest WrestleMania from top to bottom of all time. Took place about a week after WCW was officially purchased by WWE. 
Some people would say this is the weakest of their three matches at WrestleMania, but I really liked this at the time, and it was cool, and it had a notable spot where they were they were fighting, you know, on on the stage and near like the studio equipment and everything, you know, near the fans. And Undertaker chokeslam Triple H off of the platform onto the floor. That looked like it sucked for Triple H, but Undertaker got the win here. I should note this was the first WrestleMania appearance for him as his American badass Spiker character. Back at WrestleMania 18, Toronto Skydome, home of Hogan versus Rock and Jericho versus Triple H for the undisputed title. Undertaker defeated the Nature Boy Ric Flair. This was a no DQ match. Really underrated match. I wouldn't say it was the best match of either guy's career or anything like that. But it was a fun, violent affair while it lasted. WrestleMania 19. Mm, okay match. It was Undertaker defeating A-Train, a.k.a. Tensai, a.k.a. Albert, a.k.a. Matt Bloom. And the Big Show in a 2-on-1 handicap match to extend his streak to 11-0. This was also his appearance as the American Badass along with 18 and, and 17. And the reason that this was a handicap match is because originally it was the debuting Nathan Jones teaming up with The Undertaker to take on Big Show and A-Train. But somebody backstage, probably Vince McMahon and the agent, said, holy crap, Nathan Jones is not ready for prime time. He was this big-ass dude from Australia. He spent like a decade or so in prison. He was called the Colossus of Bago Road because he had committed armed robbery and he was a notorious dude in prison. He had done some independent tours in Australia, had a lot of buzz behind him, but he just was not ready. And fun fact, at the end of 2003, it turns out he wasn't ready, period. And he ended up leaving the business. I think he worked a handful of matches since then. He's done some stunt work. He's he's been in uh, a few different films. I, I think 300. You know, some of those like Game of Thrones esque films. He's had a few cameos and and those. So he seems to be doing okay for himself, but not ready for prime time here. Never was ready for prime time. And Undertaker had to pick up the slack and and ended up working out for him because he got the win and extended his streak. But not a great match. WrestleMania 20, March 14, 2004. I remember this WrestleMania vividly. It took place in my neck of the woods, MSG, Madison Square Garden. And The Undertaker defeated Kane in a pretty much a glorified squash match to win. But the big story here was it was the return of Paul Bear. And it was the return of the dead man Undertaker character. You see, he had been the American badass for a few years. Vince McMahon wanted him to turn back to the dead man. How do you get there? Well, you get there in an Undertaker-style way. Survivor Series 2003. Undertaker took on Vince McMahon, buried a live match. What happened? Kane, who was newly unmasked, interfered, buried him alive, and that led to Undertaker versus Kane, WrestleMania 20. Not at the level of the WrestleMania 14 match at all, but it served its purpose. It established Undertaker as a dead man. He did his trademark spots. It was a reintroduction of the character, and it was pretty damn great. We had his first... Really good WrestleMania match in quite some time. Maybe his best WrestleMania match up to this point. WrestleMania 21, 2005, Staples Center, Los Angeles, California. He took on the legend killer, Randy Orton. Defeated him to go 13-0 at WrestleMania. There's a notable spot in this match where Undertaker went for the choke slam and Randy Orton reversed it into an RKO out of nowhere. That was probably the first, well, not the first, but one of the first notable RKO out of nowhere spots before it became this big meme and, and huge craze and everything. Just awesome stuff. Great match. I really enjoyed this one. It ages very well. Uh, the problem is they kept feuding throughout 2005, and it got to the point where it was just super hokey, super awkward. 
just by the time they got to hell in a cell at the end of the year, Armageddon 2005, this feud was past its expiration date. And to top it all off, I believe Cowboy Bob Orton Sr., right, or Jr., I should say, uh, who was accompanying Randy Orton being his manager in addition to being his real-life father, he gigged, he bled in that Hell in a Cell match in December with The Undertaker, Randy Orton, and apparently didn't tell anybody that, hey, I got a form of hepatitis, and, well, Cowboy Bob was vamoosed, and thankfully Undertaker was okay, but, whew, yeah. I bet, looking back, The Undertaker probably wishes this feud ended right here at WrestleMania 21, because this is some good stuff, and, yeah, the rest of the year... Not so much. And yes, folks, I do know way too much obscure pro wrestling knowledge. Hence why I'm hosting this damn show. For your entertainment, I hope. We had Undertaker-Mark Henry casket match, WrestleMania 22. This took place in Chicago in 2006. Decent stuff. Uh, not great. Definitely not the level of the Orton match. And then we had the best WrestleMania match for The Undertaker up to that point in 2007. One of my all-time favorite matches and I personally think this is an extremely underrated WrestleMania match. Undertaker versus Batista. Going into this match, Batista did not have a good in-ring year for WWE. The last 12 months or so, not so good. Now, he had a nice stretch in 2005. He was still kind of green when he got put over by Triple H at WrestleMania 21. But he had a ton of momentum. Then he got injured. Then he came back in 06. And more or less had a string of boring matches. Boring matches with Booker T. Boring matches with JBL. Boring matches with all these guys. These guys. You know what? If I recall correctly, he did have a pretty good match with Mr. Anderson, Mr. Ken Kennedy at Royal Rumble. So that was that was pretty good. But for the most part, his, his in-ring stuff was lacking. And I got a lot of love for Big Dave, but he had a rough stretch there. But... Coming into this match with The Undertaker, you could tell this dude was motivated. You could tell he was pissed off at the fact that he did not get the main event slot with The Undertaker. I personally think they should have gotten that slot. John Cena and Shawn Michaels ended up closing out that show, which is most famous for the Donald Trump, uh, Vince McMahon, hair versus hair thing with Umaga and Bobby Lashley. Steve Austin was a special referee, but this was an epic match. This is, one, in my opinion, one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time, one of the most eventful WrestleManias of all time. The Undertaker got the win. Got the world title, the big gold belt, the WCW title version of the WWE world title for the first time in his career. It was an awesome visual. And what I loved uh, about this match was the fact that I never heard a better Michael Cole call at that time. Michael Cole, he's a hit or miss sometimes. Some people think he's annoying. Some people think he's stale. Some people really like him. I think this is one of the best commentary jobs Michael Cole has ever done. So if you go back and watch this on the network, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the commentary. But Undertaker got the win. I think it should have closed out the show because this was also the first time Undertaker had won the world title since 2002. And the first time that he had won it with his dead man character at WrestleMania since 1997. And overall, the first time the dead man character held the world title since 1999. So, historically, I think it should have been Undertaker and Batista closing out the show, but... Shawn Michaels, John Cena, they had one hell of a match as well. We then get to the next year where Undertaker wins the world title again. WrestleMania 24, 2008, the very last match of the event taking place at the Citrus Bowl in Orlando, Florida. This was a great match against Edge. Adam Edge Copeland, WWE Hall of Famer. Just great stuff. Edge, the dastardly heel. Undertaker, 
the valiant, cowboy-like, badass, babyface. Just just tremendous stuff. We even had a cameo by Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, who were the lackeys of Edge at the time. Just, a, a, I don't know what else to say. There was a great match. I recently watched this again. Really holds up well. You could take your pick whether this was better than the Batista match, but how can you not refuse to watch a great match between one of the greatest heels of all time and one of the greatest characters of all time? Whew. Well, they're both two of the greatest characters of all time, but just I mean, at their peaks, man. It, it, it's funny because people say, well, Undertaker's at his peak in 98 or 99 or, or this and that and the other thing, but he got better with age <laughs> as time went along in the late 2000s. It's kind of crazy, right? We look at the Randy Orton match. We look at the Batista match. Now we get to the Edge match. And this guy's just having great matches every year. He's taking Shawn Michaels' places in Mr. WrestleMania. And speaking of Shawn Michaels, we had Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 25, which is highly regarded as the greatest WWE match of all time, maybe the greatest pro wrestling match of all time. I may have seen better matches bell to bell, and that and the Okada Omega match might have been better bell to bell, like from an in ring standpoint, right? Maybe John Cena. I think John Cena and CM Punk had a, had a great match as well a couple years later. You know, I mean, there's there's been a lot of great WWE matches. Forget you know New Japan and Lucha Libre, and you know all around all around the world. Let's just keep it in WWE for a second. There may be better matches bell to bell, right? Technically high flying, what have you, but. I think there are very few matches that have the total package, the psychology, the stature. These are two iconic legends during the brand extension era, right? The brand split, who had not touched, had not faced each other in a one-on-one match since January of 1998, when ironically, Shawn Michaels injured his back, and would later be forced to retire for four-plus years away from the business. Now, they had confronted each other. They had been the final two at Royal Rumble 2007, which I think is the greatest closing sequence in Royal Rumble history. Just wonderful stuff. If you've never seen Royal Rumble 2007, go back and watch that. Just incredible stuff. But here they are in a one-on-one setting. Not a tag match. Not the Royal Rumble. No, no, no. And, and, and keep in mind, this is at the time where I think both guys, for the most part, are better than they were back in 1998. And not only are they better, but they're older, they're wiser, which in turn makes them smarter workers. Although I will say this, there was one spot in the match which was not good, where Undertaker went for his trademark dive, hit a cameraman. Uh, uh, it, it was a guy, I think it was actually... I think it was actually Jimmy Slicka's son, Jimmy Slicka Jr. I think De- I think Deuce and Deuce and Domino, for those that remember the former tag team champions. Yeah, I, I believe that was him posing as a cameraman. And Undertaker landed on him. But the problem is Undertaker landed right on his head. And I, I, and I know it was planned that Undertaker was supposed to be down for a little while, but it seemed like an eternity. And I remember watching it at the time with my friends, thinking, is Undertaker really dead? Is he, does he have his neck broken? Is he paralyzed? It was just a scary part of the match so if you don't if you consider that match a classic but maybe you want to take it down a notch if you have right everything's subjective i think it's one of the greatest matches of all time but if you want to take it down a notch for that moment i totally understand because well it was a little scary you know it, it, it did make you legitimately worry but it also added to the realism undertaker 
wanting to prove he's the best. Shawn Michaels wanted to prove he's the best. Both guys doing whatever it takes to prove that they are the best. There was a point in the match where Undertaker hit a tombstone, and then Jim Ross made the greatest call of his career, in my opinion. I just had an out-of-body experience when, it, when Shawn Michaels kicked out of the tombstone. Just epic, epic stuff. Spoiler alert, Undertaker wins. And this set up a rematch at WrestleMania 26 where, where Shawn Michaels put his career on the line against The Undertaker. This was great. And this was set up back in late 2009. Shawn Michaels and Undertaker won the Slammy Award for Match of the Year. Shawn Michaels challenged him at the podium. Undertaker, of course, wasn't there. Shawn Michaels kept challenging him again. Couldn't get it. Then finally, finally, it got to the point where Shawn Michaels just got super pissed. He lost the Royal Rumble. He was frustrated. He, he, he walked out on Raw. You know, Triple H tried to stop and said, hey, man, calm down. He's like, no, no, no. Just could. It, he just could not be bothered. Okay. He was pissed. Undertaker would not accept this challenge. So then we get to Elimination Chamber 2010. The final two guys left in the main event are who? Undertaker, Chris Jericho. Undertaker was the reigning WWE champion at, or WWE World Heavyweight Champion at the time, the SmackDown Champion. A few months prior, he had defeated CM Punk and Hell in a Cell to win the title. I was actually there live for that. And who should come out under the ring in a trademark Undertaker move? None other than Shawn Michaels, who hit the sweet chin music on The Undertaker, allowing his blood rival, the man who punched his wife in the face, Chris Jericho, to pin The Undertaker to win the world title. Shawn Michaels was so goddamn adamant to face The Undertaker at WrestleMania that he was willing to allow his heated, most hated rival to pin him in order to get The Undertaker to accept the challenge. Shawn Michaels put his career on the line. Those two had the very last match at WrestleMania 26, which is a great WrestleMania, by the way. Go back and watch it. And that was it for Shawn Michaels. Bell to Bell, I don't know if it was as good as Undertaker versus Michaels at WrestleMania 25. But my God, this was some great stuff at WrestleMania 26. And at the end, Shawn Michaels as defined as ever. Taunted the Undertaker. Undertaker to put the horse out to the pasture. Put him out of his misery. One, two, three. But it doesn't end there. Because who is Shawn Michaels' best friend? And his DX stablemate, Triple H. And at WrestleMania 27, these two guys saved what was a pretty bad WrestleMania in Atlanta, Georgia in 2011. Featured The Rock hosting the show, uh, The Miz and John Cena in the main event, which was just awful. I mean, Miz also suffered a concussion in the match, so cut him some slack. But not a good WrestleMania from top to bottom. But Undertaker and Triple H, just great stuff. It was set up when Undertaker made his return randomly on Raw. Triple H interrupted him. They both just stared each other down and then looked at the WrestleMania sign. And that set up the match. And it was just one of, one of the best segments ever. Two icons in the business, right? Just looking at the WrestleMania sign, saying, hey, let's give the fans what they want. And they did in this match. Great stuff. Uh, Triple H used a sledgehammer. He, he tried to defeat The Undertaker. With it, he he had I think he gave him like a spine buster through the coal mine, which at the time was Michael Cole's little hub uh, where he did his own commentary as a heel. Oh, those those are some bad memories on commentary. But this match was just 
epic itself. And it was notable because Undertaker won this with the Hell's Gate. Triple H tried to go for the sledgehammer. Undertaker ended up choking him out. Got the win. But Undertaker could barely get to the back, which set up Triple H versus Undertaker again for the third time at WrestleMania 28. End of an era match. Hell in a cell. Shawn Michaels was a special referee. Was there going to be a secret plan in place? Well, if there was, it sure wasn't executed that great because Undertaker ended up beating Triple H in Hell in a Cell. This was also a great match. I actually like the WrestleMania 27 match more, uh, but I love this match in a sense because it was just three legends being the best they can be. Shawn Michaels, of course, limited to a, a referee role, but still great stuff. And at the end, there's an iconic shot of all three guys helping each other up at the ramp, just posing in front of the crowd. And I really genuinely believe that this should have been the retirement match of The Undertaker. This should have been the retirement of Triple H. And this is already kind of the end of Shawn Michaels, but really the, maybe the end of him getting involved physically in, in, in angles for a while. This is awesome, awesome. Of course, Triple H and Undertaker didn't bother retiring. And then we had WrestleMania 29. I was in attendance for this. Not a great WrestleMania. Very overbooked. Some matches were rushed. You got to remember this was at the time. Actually, this was the last time that the WWE had a traditional WrestleMania before the network. And it was Undertaker versus CM Punk. Great match. At the moment, it's Undertaker's last great match at WrestleMania. And he got the win here via Tombstone. CM Punk was just a, a great heel. He had stolen Paul Bearer's urn. This came shortly after Paul Bearer passed away. I didn't like the build for this match that much because it resulted in Undertaker paying tribute to Paul Bear only for CM Punk to interrupt and it's not the memory of Paul Bear and I know it's wrestling and everything but I just, I just felt like it was it was pretty tasteless stuff but the match itself was great CM Punk was his damn best as a heel with Paul Heyman in his corner and Undertaker got the win and actually now thinking about it this was actually C as of press time as of 2018 this was CM Punk's last WrestleMania what a way to go out right Facing The Undertaker, having a great match. Loved this match. That saved the show. That was otherwise kind of forgettable. And then WrestleMania 30. This match... What can I say? This was when 21-0 became 21-1. Brock Lesnar got the pin. I believe he had hit a third F5. Match itself was nothing special. It was not that great. Undertaker had the mohawk. He had the, you know, kind of like the goatee, but he shaved the mustache. He looked really, really old in this match. And and, and I'm just talking about looks-wise. He just looked really old. Um, Undertaker actually, you know what, had the mohawk, kind of like the little mini mohawk, like shaved head deal, uh, and back in uh, WrestleMania 29 as well. So he had that WrestleMania 29. He had that WrestleMania 28. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I felt to, uh, about that whole, uh, you know, sh- shaved look and everything. Wasn't. You know, look, look, looking at the pictures, was it wasn't necessarily a great look for him, but it seemed like he was having trouble, you know, continuing to maintain his his long hair. I guess when you get older, the hair just it's it's harder to grow back, right? So he he had that hair, he rocked it, he did his thing, he owned it. It was a little Chuck Liddell hairstyle. Um, unfortunately, he kind of wrestled like Chuck Liddell when he fought at the end. Not very good, but this match is not really remembered for the quality of the match. It's not even remembered for how old The Undertaker looked. It's remembered 
for Brock Lesnar pinning The Undertaker in the middle of the ring. One, two, three, to end the streak. This featured a, a standing ovation. Undertaker just in the ring, slowly walking out. And it's kind of sad because Undertaker actually suffered a severe concussion in the match. If I recall correctly, it was a pretty bad concussion. Obviously, it wasn't severe enough to keep him out of the ring the next year, but uh, it was a bad concussion. And maybe that's why the match quality suffered. And Undertaker actually had to go to the hospital right afterwards. Vince McMahon rode with him uh, to the hospital. So that was serious stuff. And after that, you know, the Undertaker saw so many legacy. I don't know. I don't want to say it faded, but how do, how do I say it, man? The matches just didn't mean as much anymore, right? WrestleMania 31, he took on Bray Wyatt, the, the home of Seth Rollins, cashing in the money in the bank during Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. I thought this match wasn't that good. Undertaker, Bray Wyatt. I think the, the one silver lining about this match was the fact that it was nice to see the Undertaker look relatively healthy by Undertaker standards, right? And actually move around okay and look a little bit younger than he did the previous year because he actually had hair in his head. But it wasn't, it wasn't that great of a match. Now, the following year, 2016, WrestleMania 32, he took on Shane McMahon. It was Shane McMahon's first WWE appearance in years since 2009. And the match itself also wasn't that great. It was a Hell in a Cell match where if Shane McMahon lost, he would have to leave WWE. If he won, he'd get some control of WWE. Funny thing is, Shane McMahon did lose this match, and he still got to maintain a little bit of control of Raw and then later SmackDown. So that, that shows what happens with stipulations. But this match is remembered for one spot and one spot only. Shane McMahon going up top, diving off the cell, crashing and burning through the table, Undertaker pinning him one, two, three. I didn't like this match. I thought the stunt with Shane McMahon was cool, although it's something that a 46-year-old man shouldn't have been doing at the time or ever. And I mean, what can, what can I say? The, the fans seem to like this match. So even though I may be in the minority, you know, and I, I didn't personally like this match and, and everything, and I'm the one hosting this show, I'll cut it some slack because a lot of fans liked it. And not only that, but it seemed to move ticket sales and move the needle in terms of fan interest. So I got to give both men their props, especially Shane McMahon. That being said, uh, I, I didn't need to see him diving off of Hell in a Cells ever again after that. And unfortunately, he would in a match with Kevin Owens where he damn near killed himself. So Shane, lay off the damn cells. And then we had WrestleMania 33, which is going to wrap up this episode where he lost to Roman Reigns in the very last match of WrestleMania 33, Orlando, Florida. This seemed like it was going to be the end of The Undertaker. I thought this should have been the end. It was very sad to watch. Undertaker moved like crap. And this is coming from somebody that's a huge Undertaker fan. He just he did not look good here. Roman Reigns, this poor guy, had the tough task of carrying this dude, a 52-year-old man who's just broken down and beat up. It was not good at all. Uh, but I will say this, the fans love the Undertaker character so much that even though this match took place damn near at midnight after seven hours of WrestleMania, ridiculously long show, long, longest WrestleMania of all time, longest enemy show of all time, even though it took place so late in the show, there got to a point where, where Undertaker kicked out of Roman Reigns' spear and the crowd popped and the crowd wanted to see the old gunslinger get one more win at WrestleMania. But unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. And it, it led to a very memorable shot where Roman Reigns celebrated at the ramp. Fireworks played. He kind of looked like almost like a comic book villain. And Undertaker's just 
sitting there solemn, knowing that at the moment, it is now Roman Reigns' yard. And afterwards, Undertaker put his gear back on again, took it off, left it in the ring, kissed his real-life wife, Michelle McCool, at ringside, and raised his fist and lowered down. And that was the end of WrestleMania 33. And I thought that that meant Undertaker's done. I thought, you know, what, what, listen, his legacy's intact. Even though his recent WrestleMania matches weren't that good, his legacy's intact. But at the time I'm recording this, he's set to wrestle John Cena for the very first time at WrestleMania. Not the first time ever, but the first time at WrestleMania at WrestleMania 34. And based on John Cena's pay-per-view history, I think he can have a great match with The Undertaker. And I think The Undertaker can just do enough. But I do hope for their sake they leave it short and sweet. Maybe 15 minutes, play the greatest hits, old school, AA, Tombstone, you know, flying clothesline, whatever. Just leave it, leave it at that. Keep it short and sweet. And hopefully it won't take place super late in the show. We'll see what happens. But overall, I mean, you look at this WrestleMania legacy, man. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's, just, un, it's just unbelievable. This is unbelievable. 25 WrestleMania appearances going on 26. 23-2. and two. Had the last match at WrestleMania 13. Had the last match at WrestleMania 24. Last match, WrestleMania 26. Last match, WrestleMania 33. And, it, and if you really think about it, he was more or less the main event of, of WrestleMania 32 with Shane McMahon and The Undertaker. And, and look at who he's beaten. Look at the who's who of who he's beaten, right? Okay, I'm going to go over this one more time. Jimmy Snuka. Jake Roberts. King Kong Bundy. Kevin Nash. Psycho Sid. Kane Twice. Triple H Thrice. Big Boss Man. Nature Boy Ric Flair. Big Show at A-Train. Mark Henry, New WWE Hall of Famer. Batista. Edge. Shawn Michaels Twice. CM Punk. Bray Wyatt. Shane McMahon. If that's not a resume for perhaps the greatest WWE superstar in WrestleMania history, I don't know what is. I know there's so many legends to choose from, some obvious ones, some not-so-obvious ones, and I decided to pluck out the sort-of-not-so-obvious one, the Viper, Randy Orton, who at the time I'm recording this right now, recently won the United States Championship and became just the 10th Grand Slam champion in WWE history. And he's been around for so long, he's had some great matches, he's had some really bad matches, he's had some that were just kind of there in the middle, and I think sometimes we forget just how much Randy Orton has accomplished. But let's go all the way back to his very first WrestleMania appearance in 2004, WrestleMania 20. He teamed up with Evolution, Batista, and Nature Boy Ric Flair. He came into this match as the Intercontinental Champion, and he defeated Mick Foley and The Rock, the Rock and Sock connection in the middle of the ring. You might be saying to yourself, well, yeah, Fred, but it was a three-on-two handicap match. Yes, but at the time, we didn't see handicap matches almost every freaking week or every couple weeks like we do now. And at the time, they truly built up Randy Orton as a rising star. With all due respect to Roman Reigns, who I think is great, one of the reasons he hasn't gotten to the level of guys like Cena and Orton when he was at his hottest. I mean, maybe maybe he's gotten to the level of Orton when he was at his hottest. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. But 
The reason he hasn't really caught on is because his push wasn't really that organic. The shield was organic. He was well protected. And then once they broke up, they just said, hey, let's push him. Let's put him in all these big matches and he'll just get over. And that didn't really happen. Whereas Randy Orton, they gradually built him up. They put him in matches with the likes of Chris Jericho, Mick Foley, who really made him and emphasized his, his toughness. He had evolution on his side with Triple H, who was the world champion for most of that time period. He had the nature boy, Ric Flair. He had Batista as his muscle, who also obviously became a huge star in his own right. And I really feel like back in that era, between Orton, Batista, John Cena, and you can even throw in Brock Lesnar there in that era, those are like the last four guys that WWE gradually built up to become stars. Now, Lesnar had a much faster rise uh, than the other three guys. But still, they gradually built them up. They put them in situations that made them look good. And that's probably my biggest complaint about WWE present day. They don't put their talent in enough situations where they look good. I mean, Braun Strowman to an extent, but as far as Roman Reigns or even Seth Rollins, we had his title reign, not so much. But here... They made Randy Orton look like a million bucks. He was the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion at the time since The Rock back in 97-98, which tells you how much they, they viewed him in such high esteem and, and still do to this day. And he actually ended up getting the pin on Mick Foley. This was a, a pretty good little match here. Made Randy Orton look good. Gave him the rub. And he'd go on a month later to actually pin Mick Foley in a hardcore match to retain the Intercontinental Championship, which still may stand as arguably his greatest match in his career, which is saying something because he's had a lot of great matches. WrestleMania 21, he helped kickstart a trend for The Undertaker. A lot of people think of The Undertaker's WrestleMania streak as, wow, this mythical thing. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's whatever. They've protected it so well. They protected it so well before Brock Lesnar beat him. But the reality is, I don't even think they realized that the streak was a thing until maybe the early, mid-2000s. I mean, perhaps after he beat Triple H at WrestleMania 17. But that was around the time I recall, you know, going around on, like, the message boards and the wrestling websites that Triple H was rumored to actually beat The Undertaker. Can you imagine how, how crazy the history would have been if Undertaker lost to Triple H back then? Well, fast forward to WrestleMania 21. This was the second WrestleMania for The Undertaker being back in his dead man gimmick. He had come back as a dead man at WrestleMania 20 after being buried alive by Kane. And... I got to say, well, I think the Triple H match was pretty damn good back in 2001, WrestleMania 17. For the most part, Undertaker did not have any great WrestleMania matches. Depending on what area you grew up in, maybe you, you thought Kane versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 14 was awesome. I did as a little kid. I don't know if that match has aged as well. But if there's one match that's aged pretty well, that back then and now holds up as a damn good WrestleMania match, it's Randy Orton versus The Undertaker. Now, the feud ended up spiraling out of control with all these campy segments months after the fact. But this was an awesome match that saw Randy Orton in his full legend killer mode nearly dethrone the Undertaker streak, but no avail. He ended up getting tombstoned, got, got the pinfall loss. But hey, it was an awesome match, and it showed that despite all the personal issues Randy Orton had, whether it be with drugs or people backstage or whatever, that when this dude is on, whew, he is on. Let's go to WrestleMania 22. He had a great little match. I say great little match because it just wasn't long enough to be like an all-time classic. Randy Orton versus Rey Mysterio versus Kurt Angle for the World Heavyweight Championship. This was an excellent encounter that saw Randy Orton do the honors for Rey Mysterio, put him over in the middle of the ring, giving Rey Mysterio his first historic world title victory. 
Randy Orton did his part here. Like I said, I wish, I wish this match got more time. This was around the era when SmackDown matches, uh, for whatever reason, probably because you know it's still looked at as the B show, uh, weren't getting enough time at WrestleMania cards. I mean, I recall back in, even in 2005, WrestleMania 21. Yeah, they did a great job of putting over John Cena in dominant fashion, but that match that he had with JBL when he won his first WWE title, that was just kind of a match. It was really just a TV main event put on a WrestleMania card. Uh, they ended up having a, good, a great match afterwards at Judgment Day 05, but they got shortchanged at WrestleMania. And same thing with WrestleMania 22 with Orton, Angle, and Ray. It was great while it lasted, but it just did not last long enough. WrestleMania 23, I think one of the more underrated WrestleMania cards, featured a Money in the Bank ladder match with so many guys. Ken Kennedy ended up getting the win. Yes, that Ken Kennedy. Yeah, wrestling was weird back in 2007, but... Randy Orton was the man here. He unleashed hell. He RKO's on everybody in sight, including CM Punk, Mr. Anderson, Kennedy, whatever you want to call him, and RKO off the ladder. I mean, this was awesome. And it set up Randy Orton versus Edge the following night on Raw, which is one of the all-time classic Raw TV matches itself. And then we had maybe his crowning achievement from a kayfabe storyline standpoint in terms of WrestleMania. WrestleMania 2008, WrestleMania 24, he took on Triple H and John Cena in a triple threat match for his WWE Championship. He came into the match as champion, and he came out of the match as champion, winning with his trademark punt kick. And it was truly the age of Randy Orton. 2009, he had his first true WrestleMania main event, as in the very last match. And what, what, what do you want me to say? What, 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 do you want me to, what do you want me to say? I mean, I'm looking here at... The reviews for this match, it was just absolutely, positively dreadful. It was it was a match. And this is something where it's kind of a classic case of Orton's career. A lot of people give him a bad rap and everything. But I think sometimes storylines just do him no favors, and you guys will hear why. But he lost to Triple H here in a singles match for the WWE title, right? Get the stipulations here. If Triple H had been counted out or disqualified, he would have lost the title. Keep in mind, this was more or less a blood feud after Randy Orton took out Triple H's father-in-law, Vince McMahon, his brother-in-law, Shane McMahon, and his wife, Stephanie McMahon. And yet somehow it devolved into some campy skits, including Triple H destroying Randy Orton in his house where cameras were magically on the scene like an OJ Bronco car chase. And I don't even think that woman was Randy Orton's wife. Actually, no, she definitely wasn't Randy Orton's wife. It was a paid actress that Triple H scared out of the house. And this led to WrestleMania, and you're thinking, oh, man, this has got to be like an all-time great brawl, right? you got two great workers. It's WrestleMania. they got plenty of time to kick ass. And instead, it was like a sledgehammer shot that the referee didn't see, a pedigree. And that was it. That was it. Okay. That was just weird. Very weird. Then next year, WrestleMania 26, 2010, Randy Orton defeated Ted DiBiase and Cody Rhodes, his former legacy stablemates, in a triple threat match. Not that great. He ended up destroying both guys, sending them packing for a while. I thought this really defeated the purpose of supposedly putting over Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase, and quite frankly, they never recovered. And I, Again, I don't blame that on Orton as, as much as just bad creative all around. At WrestleMania 27 in 2011, CM Punk and Randy Orton had a damn good match. Randy Orton ended up getting the win with RKO out of nowhere. I thought this match was a little overrated at the time. I thought it was a little predictable as far as how Randy Orton set up that RKO. But looking back at this card, which was 
pretty damn brutal. You had a, a decent opening match with Edge versus Alberto Del Rio, which turned out to be Edge's final singles match. You had a nice match with Rhodes, uh, defeating, Cody Rhodes defeating Rey Mysterio, being put over in the middle of the ring. You had a great Triple H and, and Undertaker match. And you had a nice little showcase with John Morrison, Trish Stratus, and Snooki of Jersey Shore fame defeating Dolph Ziggler and Lay Cool. But for the most part, I remember this card being just like a giant Raw that would never end with the horrible anonymous GM and everything. So if you do want to torture yourself and watch this whole card as opposed to a couple of the highlights like Taker and Triple H, uh, definitely go out of your way to watch Orton versus Punk. Uh, this was This was awesome. Feud wasn't so awesome because Orton just systematically destroyed the new Nexus stable that had protected Punk leading up to this, but match itself was good. See a theme here? Randy Orton consistently has good to great matches, but the storylines surrounding these matches, not so hot. The next year, WrestleMania 28 in Orlando, Florida. This has to be the low point of Randy Orton's WrestleMania career. Well, yeah, it might. <laughs> it just might be. Kane defeated Randy Orton. Need I say more? WrestleMania 29, we, which I was at in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Uh, pretty good little six-man tag match. The Shield in their WrestleMania debuts defeated Big Show, Sheamus, and Randy Orton. I wouldn't say it was that spectacular compared to other Shield pay-per-view matches. Uh, I, I felt like that whole pay-per-view in general wasn't that great outside of CM Punk versus uh, The Undertaker. But, you know, decent effort by Orton. And then maybe, just maybe, the one of the best matches of not only of Randy Orton's career... Uh, one of the best matches in WrestleMania history. Randy Orton in the main event slot, the true main event slot of WrestleMania, absolutely positively redeemed himself here. Him and Batista lost to Daniel Bryan when Daniel Bryan tapped out Batista in a triple threat match to win the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Randy Orton had come into this event as the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Also kind of like the centerpiece of the authority led by Stephanie McMahon, Triple H, and Corporate Kane. I was not a fan of how, of how Orton was booked around this time from late 2013 leading up to here. For those that don't know, he lost a lot of non-title matches leading up to this, including against the Daniel Bryan on, on TV a few weeks before then, which was just bizarre as hell. But him, Dave Batista, Daniel Bryan, they all proved to be A-plus players and brought an A-plus effort. One of the all-time great matches in WWE history, maybe in wrestling history. I just... Absolutely loved everything about this match. I can't say enough nice things. Randy Orton absolutely held his end of the bargain. He was just spectacular here. Uh, a great heel. We fast forward to 2015, WrestleMania 31. Randy Orton has an excellent match with Seth Rollins. Maybe the best match of the night as, as far as bell to bell. I mean, you can make the argument the main event when Seth Rollins cashed in on Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. That was great all around. But as far as bell to bell, I think Orton versus Rollins was the best match. And it featured a great spot where Seth went for the curb stomp. Randy was able to kind of like lift him up in the air as he was going for a stomp and then hit an RKO. Just, just great stuff. Great stuff. WrestleMania 32, believe it or not, if you go online and you look up the name of Randy Orton, he was not on this card because he was injured. A rare WrestleMania absence for Randy Orton. But have no fear, he had a chance to redeem himself at WrestleMania 33 in Orlando, Florida, when he took on Bray Wyatt. And Randy Orton would go on to defeat Bray Wyatt for the WWE Championships. That, that's the good news. The bad news is, this might have been the worst WWE Championship match in the history of WrestleMania. And that includes John Cena versus JBL, which wasn't bad, but like I said earlier, you know, earlier it was more of just like a, a SmackDown TV match. And this 
might have been worse than Miz versus John Cena at WrestleMania 27, which was, to be fair to them, hampered by the fact that Miz got concussed early in the match. It wasn't laid out very well. And, uh, you know, The Rock interfered and, and allowed Miz to get the win. But at least, at least that featured a career-defining win for Miz. And at least that match set up two straight years of gigantic money-making matches with The Rock and John Cena. Whereas this Orton Wyatt matchup set up a horrendous House of Horrors match, followed by Randy Orton putting over Jinder Mahal, and then putting him over again, and again, and again, including in a Punjabi prison match. Now, this was, this was rumored to be a thank you title win for Randy Orton after he volunteered to get his head caved in by Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam 2016 when Brock Lesnar errantly hit him with an elbow, busted him open the hard way, and Randy Orton, who's got a history of concussions, well, suffered another concussion. This match was most infamous for Bray Wyatt having holograms in the match, meaning, or, or, or projections, whatever. Pretend the ring canvas was a projection screen. There were maggots, ants. I don't even remember what else. I've blocked the match out of my memory, but it was just, it was horrendous, and Randy Orton just got the win. That's it. Just got the win. Randy Orton, leading up to this match, burned Sister Abigail's grave and her home to the ground. And Bray Wyatt responded in such violent fashion by projecting holograms. Bray Wyatt is the worst, part 65. So Randy Orton got the win here. And now it leads us to present day. At the time I'm recording this, we're just a few weeks away from WrestleMania 34. Randy Orton, the current United States champion, going into WrestleMania to likely wrestle Bobby Roode and Jinder Mahal in a triple threat match that had to be booked from hell. Now, granted, Orton versus Roode, when Orton won the title, turned out to actually be really good, even though I thought it was going to be really boring on paper. So this could be a great match. I don't know. On, on paper, I think they're going to have their work cut out for him. But overall, I think after you watch this video, I think after you listen to all these accomplishments I listed of Randy Orton at WrestleMania, most notably... WrestleMania 20, pinning McFoley in the match against the Rock and Sock Connection. WrestleMania 21, giving Undertaker a hell of a match. WrestleMania 22, doing the honors for Rey Mysterio in a fast-paced triple threat match for the world title. WrestleMania 23, a great Money in the Bank ladder match, even though Mr. Kennedy won. WrestleMania 24, a damn good triple threat match with Triple H and John Cena where he won clean in the middle of the ring. WrestleMania 31, the badass RKO on Seth Rollins and arguably the best match of the night. And of course, my personal favorite Randy Orton moment at WrestleMania, the triple threat match at WrestleMania 30 with Orton, Batista, and Bryan. Here to look back at the WrestleMania legacy of one of the all-time greats. Some people call him the Latino Shawn Michaels. Some people call Shawn Michaels the white Eddie Guerrero. I'm talking about Latino heat Eddie Guerrero. You could literally flip a coin, right? When you talk about total package of superstars, okay? Who had everything at one point in time. The mic skills, the in-ring work, the psychology, the connection with the crowd. There's very few guys in WWE history or wrestling history in general that you could look back on and say, man, they were probably the best ever. Total package. Ric Flair belongs on a conversation, obviously. All-time great. Bell to Bell, all the jazz. Shawn Michaels, for sure. 
Maybe you could even say AJ Styles to a lesser extent these days. But for a lot of people's money, they got Eddie Guerrero. And Eddie Guerrero has an unbelievable WrestleMania legacy. When you think of where this guy came from, his humble beginnings as part of the legendary Guerrero family, tons of pressure on him to succeed in Lucha Libre. He chose to go to America, make a name for himself there, and he became a huge, huge star, but not without controversy, not without issues. For those that don't know, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of his life as far as the trials and tribulations. I mean, man, I remember being a kid, being online, early days of the wrestling websites, and just holding my face, head in my hands, thinking, how is Eddie Guerrero going to screw up next? 99, he got into a bad car accident, damn near killed him, damn near ended his career. 2001, fired by the WWE. Drug issues, all kinds of ish. Ended up rehabbing himself in more ways than one and was accepted back into the WWE in 2002. Uh, fun fact, he was on the very first Ring of Honor show. And uh, yeah, the rest is what they say history. And we're going to cover just a small part, but a well, a small and big part of his history. Obviously, he had a, a huge career spanning you know, two decades and, and everything. But we're going to focus on his WrestleMania career here. Let's go to Eddie Guerrero's WrestleMania debut. WrestleMania 2000, the only WrestleMania card to not have any straight-up one-on-one matches. Yeah, it was a crazy time in the business. It was a stacked card. They wanted to get everybody on the show. So every match was literally a tag match or battle royal or fatal four-way, triple threat, whatever. It was kind of all over the place, but it was a memorable show. And Eddie Guerrero making his WrestleMania debut. He had debuted a few months earlier with the Radicals, Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, and Dean Malenko all walking out of WCW at the same time. And that was really, I think, the death blow for WCW. I mean, there were several death blows, but as far as from like a morale standpoint for wrestlers backstage, based on what was reported by Figure Four Weekly at the time, Wrestling Observer, Pro Wrestling Torch, you know, you name, you know, whatever the media outlet was covering WCW in depth at the time. That From a morale standpoint, that might have been the death knell because those four guys were considered the underappreciated workhorses, the heart and soul of WCW, and they left to go to WWE. And Eddie Guerrero here, kind of like a lot of the Radicals, was still trying to find his footing. Kind of a rough start for them. They had a hot angle to debut, joining DX. Uh, there was a moment in time when Triple H pinned Chris Benoit, you know, first night in, pinning him. That was kind of lame. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, I, I recall doing a, a couple jobs here and there. Uh, it had an elbow injury as well. It was a bit of a rough start, a bit of a rough patch for Eddie Guerrero here. But he teamed up with Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko to take on two cool Grandmaster Sexay, a.k.a. Brian Lawler, and Scotty Tuhati, along with China. And while this match was nothing to write home about, too cool and China got the win, this set up a great romance storyline between China and Eddie Guerrero that led to the legendary Latino Heat character. And it was just... Great, great stuff. If you've never seen it, go back and watch it on the DDB Network or go watch it for the first time, I should say. Tremendous stuff. And nice little WrestleMania debut for him. WrestleMania 2001, a.k.a. WrestleMania 17. The first WrestleMania stadium show in God knows how long for WWE. It was the tail end of the Attitude Era, a week before DDB had purchased WCW. So this was a pretty monumental show. From top to bottom, a great show. 
And Eddie Guerrero took on an underrated wrestler by the name of Test, Andrew Test Martin. God rest his soul. He's unfortunately no longer with us, as is Eddie Guerrero. Uh, so it's kind of hard to watch this match, you know, if you're, if you're going back now and watching it. But it was a good little match. And it was for the European title. So Eddie Guerrero got the win here, won the European title from Test with the help of his radical stable mates again. And a few months later, he dropped the European title to Matt Hardy, who won his first singles title in WWE. It was a great moment for him. Not a great moment for Eddie Guerrero because it signaled the beginning of the end. And he would later be released by WWE due to drug issues. Thankfully, he cleaned his life up. Was hired back shortly after WrestleMania 18 in 2002. And in 2003, he had a random tag match. It was Los Guerreros, Eddie Guerrero, and Chavo Guerrero teaming up to take on the world's greatest tag team, a.k.a. Team Angle, of Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, who were the WWE Tag Team Champions, as well as Rhino and Chris Benoit. World's greatest tag team ended up getting the victory. It was a fun little match, but you know, not, not enough time to think for it to be a really great match or anything. And then in 2004... Eddie Guerrero had his career year. He had somehow, some way, with a little help from Bill Goldberg, upset Brock Lesnar at No Way Out February 2004 at the Cow Palace in San Francisco to win the WWE Championship for the first and only time. And this was pretty damn significant for a few reasons. Some people may not realize this, but Eddie Guerrero for years was deemed too small to be a main eventer, deemed too small to be a world champion. Nowadays, we got guys like Christian, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, dudes on the smaller side of things that can call themselves former world champions. Rey Mysterio, but even before Rey Mysterio, even before Daniel Bryan, before CM Punk, before a lot of these guys that were small in real life or small by WWE standards, holding a world title regularly, there was Eddie Guerrero. I mean, yeah, Shawn Michaels too, to a lesser extent, but Shawn Michaels was bigger than Eddie Guerrero. This was a monumental moment for professional wrestling. Eddie Guerrero broke down so many barriers with this world title win. And he went on to WrestleMania to face Kurt Angle. They had a great match. Great, <laughs> very clever finish. Eddie Guerrero's gimmick was lying, cheating, and stealing his way to victory. Much to the fans' delight most of the time. And uh, Kurt Angle was working on that ankle because he has the trademark ankle lock. He tried to tap out Eddie. So Eddie Guerrero <laughs> ended up favoring his ankle, but secretly loosening his boot up. And when Kurt Angle went for the ankle lock, he ended up grabbing Eddie Guerrero's boot instead off of his foot, and he rolled him up for the pin, got the win. Just a classic match, and I think, really, it's, it's, I think it's considered the unofficial main event of WrestleMania 20 because given the real-life events that occurred with Chris Benoit and, and all that jazz, I just, you know, you can't celebrate a guy like that. So, hey, I'm all for celebrating Eddie Guerrero. And Eddie Guerrero versus Kurt Angle, which was a legendary WrestleMania match for the WWE title. And tragically, in 2005, we saw Eddie Guerrero's final WrestleMania appearance and final year of his life. He took on his best friend, his tag team partner. Both guys were tag team champions together at the time. First time that happened in WWE history in a one-on-one match. Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Great opener. One of the better opening matches in WrestleMania history. It saw Rey Mysterio got the win, which kicked off a great legendary feud between Eddie Guerrero and Rey, where the whole theme, recurring theme, was that Eddie Guerrero just could not beat Rey Mysterio. He could not beat Rey Mysterio. And every time Rey Mysterio would beat Eddie Guerrero in the ring, Eddie Guerrero would find a way to beat Rey Mysterio psychologically to the point where he revealed that he was Eddie Guerrero. 
Oh my god, how do I how do I say this? Eddie Guerrero revealed I'm trying to say this with a straight face. I, I promise you the storyline worked at the time and it drew great ratings. At the time, Eddie Guerrero revealed that he was the real life father of Rey Mysterio's son Dominic. To the point where he had these epic I'm your poppy t-shirts. And the feud culminated with Rey Mysterio beating Eddie Guerrero yet again on pay-per-view at SummerSlam 2005, winning sole custody of his son. True story. But, fun fact, on the debut edition of Friday Night SmackDown, when SmackDown back then moved to Friday Nights, Eddie Guerrero actually pinned Rey Mysterio in a steel cage match to finally get that elusive win over his heated rival. Unfortunately, a couple months later, he uh, passed away, and uh, very unfortunate, way too young, way too young. I believe he was 38 years old, but wrestling was his canvas. Eddie Guerrero, to me, was like the Leonardo da Vinci, the Rembrandt of pro wrestling, and his artwork in the form of professional wrestling lives on forever via the WWE Network, via YouTube, via DVDs, and uh, via the memories of, of, of fans like myself. I mean, I grew up watching Eddie Guerrero, would, would watch Thursday Night Smackdown with my dad and just laugh our asses off at some of the antics of Eddie. He was just, those are great memories, man. Those are, those are great memories. I wish I got to see him live, uh, and unfortunately never did, but I, I got to see him on TV every week for uh, a good chunk of my life, and I'm always thankful for those memories he provided. I know a lot of fans watching this probably are as well, and if you're somebody that was born around the time Eddie passed away or not familiar with him and don't know what made him so great, don't know why so many wrestlers idolize him to this day, uh, I strongly suggest you guys go back and watch some of his WrestleMania matches. Uh, watch the match with Test. Nice little match. Watch the Kurt Angle match. Watch the Rey Mysterio match. And hell, watch all of them because, like I said, he's, he's, he's one of the greatest of all time. I mean, you, I, I'd put him up there with guys like Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels for sure. Overall, while Eddie Guerrero's WrestleMania legacy wasn't as long as it should have been, it was a great one. On this episode of Greatest Superstars in WrestleMania History, we're going to take a look at the WrestleMania legacy of Seth Frickin' Rollins, one-third of one of the greatest stables of all time, The Shield, a guy who is a great, great professional wrestler and one that already has accomplished quite a bit, going on six years in WWE, Probably a little bit more than that if you count the developmental days in FCW and then NXT. But as far as the main roster goes, from Survivor Series 2012, going into WrestleMania 34 when this is being recorded. We're a couple weeks away from his triple threat match with Miz and Finn Balor for the IC title. But we're going to look at his WrestleMania debut from WrestleMania 29 to WrestleMania 33 when he took on Triple H. So let's start with WrestleMania 29, which we also covered in the Roman Reigns episode. This was the Shield's debut WrestleMania match. They took on not one, not two, but three former world champions in a six-man tag. East Rutherford, New Jersey, MetLife Stadium. I was actually live for this, although I unfortunately had an obstructed view due to one of these stupid outdoor pillars. But that's neither here nor there. Go to an outdoor WrestleMania at your own risk, kids. So Rollins, Reigns, Ambrose took on Sheamus former WWE and World Heavyweight Champion, Randy Orton, former WWE and World Heavyweight Champion, and Big Show, former WWE, World Heavyweight Champion, ECW Champion, and former WCW Champion. Yeah, that's a lot of world titles between those three men, and they ended up on the losing end of things against The Shield, 
who got the win in their WrestleMania debut. Decent opener, nothing spectacular, but hey, it established a shield as something to be reckoned with on the grandest stage of them all. The following year, super, super bizarre matchup. It was the authorities, Road Dog, Jesse James, and Billy Gunn, aka the New Age Outlaws, teaming up with Corporate Kane. Kane, who was unmasked, shaved head, in black slacks, and <laughs> this was a glorified squash. Three-minute match, Shield got the win. I think Billy Gunn suffered some internal injuries where he had to go to the hospital, so that kind of sucked, but they got the win. And a couple months later, after feuding with Evolution, that being Randy Orton, Batista, and Triple H, the Shield ended up breaking up when Seth Rollins turned his back on Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose, literally stabbed them in the back with steel chairs, joined the authority, slowly but surely rose up the ranks as Mr. Money in the Bank, was a cowardly heel. I thought he did a great job as a heel at this time, although I thought at times it was a little too cowardly. You know, he had Kane more or less help him win Money in the Bank. That, that I thought was kind of lame, but Seth Rollins, great performer, having a lot of great matches. And then we get to WrestleMania 31. He was scheduled to face Randy Orton. He did. Those two had a damn good match in Santa Clara, California, home of the San Francisco 49ers, Levi Stadium. Really nice visual, too, an outdoor WrestleMania, broad daylight. Uh, really hot, I'm sure, for the performers uh, in the middle of the ring in, in sunny California. But really good stuff. And the notable spot in this match came at the end when Seth Rollins went for a curb stomp, a.k.a. the blackout. Randy Orton threw him up in the air, hit an RKO out of nowhere, got the pin. And then later in the night, Seth Rollins, in the middle of the Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar match, which was a, a great match in its own right before this this moment, Seth Rollins decides, you know what? I'm going to cash in my money in the bank. And what's crazy is in real life, Seth Rollins learned about this, I think, just a few minutes before the main event backstage. Can you imagine that? You just had a great match with Randy Orton. WrestleMania is a long show. You have this big adrenaline dump after you have this match with Randy Orton. You're thinking you're done for the night. And then all of a sudden, Vince McMahon says, Hey, pal, you're going to win the world title in the main event. That was my horrible Vince McMahon impression. But you can imagine Seth was like me. Losing his voice, thinking, holy crap, I'm going to win the world title. Cashed in. He almost got, he curb stomped Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar got right back up, went for another curb stomp. Brock hit the F5, or was actually about to hit the F5, I should say, until Roman Reigns speared him. Both men were exhausted at this point, leading to Seth Rollins, hitting the curb stomp on Roman Reigns, pushing Brock Lesnar out of the ring. Pinning Reigns, one, two, three, to become WWE champion. The greatest highway robbery in WrestleMania history. Fireworks, everything. It was just an insane moment. And it's unfortunate to look back at this in some ways because while this is a great moment and it did make Seth Rollins, it also led to a a kind of a not-so-great world title run. In fact, the way Seth Rollins was booked where he lost so many non-title matches, especially towards the tail end when he was forced to vacate the title due to injury, I mean, I, I got to say that, that that long run of Seth Rollins as WWE Champion, as great as the matches were, as, as solid as his mic work was, is probably one of the worst WWE World title reigns in quite some time, just as far as win-loss records and how he was booked compared to other world champions, even other cowardly world champions. You know, th- there, there's a big difference between being Ric Flair in his prime, just narrowly escaping, and being Seth Rollins, who had Joey Mercury and Jamie Noble and all these other guys like Kane and whoever else... Uh, helping him get the win. John Stewart, helping him get a win. I mean, you know, it wasn't the best world title run, but 
Seth Rollins did well enough where it did establish him as a top guy and a force to be reckoned with for years to come. WrestleMania 32, he unfortunately had to miss due to a knee injury suffered in October of 2015 in a half-show match with Kane. And that, of course, led to him vacating the world title. He would later win it back for about a few minutes from Roman Reigns at Money in the Bank 2016, only for Dean Ambrose to appropriately cash in and defeat him. And then we get to WrestleMania 32, Triple H, Seth Rollins. This is a very polarizing match because this was a very long match on a very long show. And it featured, hey, how do I put this? A blood rivalry culminating in a match that was not appropriate really for a blood feud. I thought technically the match was pretty good. I actually really liked this match at the time because Seth Rollins got the win and Stephanie McMahon was put through a table. So that was kind of cool. But after the show, which was seven hours long, by the way, I thought about it and I was like, you know what? Seth Rollins was coming into this match with a knee injury and storyline. And in this match, Seth Rollins kept hitting high-flying moves while clutching his knee. And then he'd get up and hit another high-flying move and clutch his knee. And then he'd kick Triple H and clutch his knee. He'd hit a flying knee, he'd clutch his knee. He'd hit the Kingslayer knee, he'd clutch his knee. He'd hit the Petter, he'd clutch his knee. And it just it got to the point where it's just like, all right, like, we get it. Your knee's hurt. So stop doing these stupid high-flying moves. If you take away the, the whole feud and you just look at this match in a vacuum, this is actually a pretty damn good match. I really liked it. But when you think about the storyline and this blood feud, it just went way too long. It should have been more of a brawl. It should have had some weapons involved or something like that. I know they had a, a Dean Ambrose-Brock Lesnar match that... Actually, no, that was the year before that. I'm sorry. This was, they had a Brock Lesnar-Goldberg match on the same card, which was just all over the place, spilled onto the outside, go through the barricade, just balls to the wall. That was great. It was epic. And this match should have been epic. This match should have been violent. And instead, it was kind of like, okay... It was a Triple H match with a little bit of Seth Rollins spots. And Triple H, while a great performer, there's times where he's just going to do his damn match, even when at times he should probably tweak it. And he decided not to. He, he just did his match with some Seth Rollins spots, and it led to mixed results. There's some wrestling veterans who I spoke to after his match that hated this match. There are some fans I spoke to that absolutely hated this match. I remember gauging the fan feedback when I, when I held a live recap on YouTube of this match and, and of this whole show. And it was very polarizing. So when I went back and watched this, I liked the match, but I couldn't help but think, damn, for a blood feud, for a student versus teacher feud, for a feud that revolved around a guy injuring his knee, this match was kind of laid out pretty stupidly. But in a vacuum, I thought it was a good match. If you take away everything else, you just look at it as an individual match. I thought it was good. And Seth Rollins ended up getting the win against Triple Freaking H. So overall, going into WrestleMania 34, Seth Rollins has a great WrestleMania resume, right? Defeated three former world champions, Sheamus, Randy Orton, Big Show, WrestleMania 29. WrestleMania 30 defeated Kane and, and the New Age Outlaws, just squashed him. WrestleMania 31, damn good match of Randy Orton, epic RKO spot followed by the highway robbery, the amazing cash-in. That was a great moment. I mean, you, you can't beat that, right? And then WrestleMania 33, pretty good match, defeating his mentor, Triple H. So while Seth Rollins still has a long freaking way to go in his career, I got to say he has one hell 
of a WrestleMania resume. We're going to look at the legacy up until 2018 of Roman Reigns, the big dog on the grandest stage of them all. And on the surface, you may think it's blasphemous. I might say that Roman Reigns is one of the best performers ever when it comes to WrestleMania. Now, full disclosure, going over his WrestleMania resume, his matches were a hit or miss. Personally, I think through no fault of his own. But he had a damn good performance or two in there, and his accomplishments as far as who he beat and what he did cannot and will not be denied. So we got to go back to 2013, WrestleMania 29. The Shields' WrestleMania debut was in East Rutherford, New Jersey, MetLife Stadium, also the home of WrestleMania 35. I was there in attendance. I had an obstructed view. It was not a pleasant experience for the most part as far as live viewing, but it was cool to see The Shield, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, taking on Randy Orton, Big Show, and Sheamus in a six-man tag. The Shield got the win. It was a decent opener. Overall, it was not a great WrestleMania, although it did have a classic Punk versus Undertaker matchup, which we covered in our Undertaker WrestleMania episode. And it kicked off a pretty memorable run for all three involved who ended up becoming WWE World Heavyweight Champions. 2014. This was random as hell, right? The Shield was still running wild. The Shield had debuted at WrestleMania. Actually, they had debuted, sorry, at Survivor Series 2012. WrestleMania 29 was their WrestleMania debut. But Survivor Series 2012, during the CM Punk, Ryback, John Cena, WWE title matchup, they interfered on behalf of CM Punk, allowing him to get the win. But they were not associated with CM Punk that much longer. They were heels. They did work a little bit with the authority. But for the most part, they marched to the beat of their own drums. And 2014 was around the time when they turned babyface. And prior to WrestleMania 30, we had hints of them possibly breaking up. There was an infamous match, a handicap match at WWE TLC 2013 that saw CM Punk somehow defeat all three members of the Shield in a three-on-one handicap match because, like, two of the members that had been like knocked to the outside or something, or one of them was chasing a guy. I mean, it was just—it was ridiculous, and it was all a catalyst to set up the Shield breaking up. Now, spoiler alert: they would break up just a couple months later, which I think, in hindsight, was a mistake. But it is what it is. You can't rewrite history. You could only tell it and give your honest opinion about it. At least I'm giving my honest opinion about it, and. At the time, the Shield was hot, there were baby faces, and they destroyed, get this, Road Dog Jesse James and Badass Billy Gunn, the New Age Outlaws, and Corporate Kane. Not the Kane that y'all know with the mask and the hair, no, no. This was Bald Kane, unmasked, in slacks, and this squash was only like a couple minutes long, just... Absolute destruction. This was notable for Billy Gunn actually suffering a pretty bad internal injury and having to go to the hospital after taking the triple power bomb. But dominant win for the Shield. Got them on the show. Nothing really to write home about, right? But if you think about it, the previous year, Roman Reigns in the six-man tag helped defeat Sheamus, Randy Orton, and Big Show, all three former world champions. Then next year... He destroyed Kane, a former WWE and ECW champion, along with two guys who are part of one of the greatest tag teams ever, the New Age Outlaws. The next year, this was the first year 
where the Roman Reigns polarization occurred. At WrestleMania 31, it was Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns for the World Heavyweight Championship. Brock Lesnar had been undefeated for quite some time, broken the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak, making it 21-1, and which we talked about in our Undertaker episode. He destroyed John Cena at SummerSlam 2014 for a WWE title, held it ever since, had an excellent triple threat match with John Cena and Seth Rollins at Royal Rumble, being victorious going into WrestleMania. And Roman Reigns, he had broken off from the Shield, he had been doing his thing, and he had been mishandled like crazy. We had the 2015 Royal Rumble where the fans wanted Daniel Bryan to win. He got eliminated early in the match, and fans just hijacked that Royal Rumble in Philadelphia, taking it over. Boo Birds reigning supreme. It didn't help that Royal Rumble in general was just not that good. With the final four being Rusev, who was in hiding, Big Show, and Kane in 2015. Yeah. It was bad. Even The Rock saving Roman Reigns, his real-life cousin, and celebrating with him afterwards could not save this Royal Rumble, and it could not save Roman Reigns' main event run. We get to Fastlane, where they ended up doing Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan. Great match. Roman Reigns got the win. But once again, WWE tried to get Roman Reigns over by having Daniel Bryan endorse him. Before that, it was The Rock endorsing him, and it just did not work. We get to WrestleMania 31, hostile environment, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. I didn't really think this match was anything special at the time I watched it. Okay, I thought the match was action-packed. I thought the guys worked hard, but I didn't consider it like a great match or anything like that. I thought it was a great moment because at the end, Seth Rollins cashed in his money in the bank, got the win, won the title, great stuff, fireworks flying in Santa Clara, the home of the 49ers in California. But I rewatched this match prior to doing this episode. And I got to tell you, this is one of the best WrestleMania main events in recent history. And I'll tell you why. The crowd heat, unbelievable. Brock Lesnar at his baddest ass self. Just an absolute killer. And Roman Reigns, dare I say, looking back three years now, had maybe the best babyface performance of his career. And it's, it's hard to get sympathy for a guy that wears a G-Unit bulletproof vest, right, when he's taking chair shots and all this stuff. I don't even so much mind that he, like, has something covering his chest, but the fact that it's actually a vest and it's got this weird, like, pattern, I think it makes him look bad. If he had, like, you know, like a sleeveless shirt or something like Kevin Owens, maybe one that's a little bit tighter that fits around his muscles, that'd be cool. But no, he has the vest. And, and so it's kind of hard to get sympathy that way as a babyface. Also, he's a bigger guy than a lot of dudes on the roster, but... He ain't bigger than Brock Lesnar. He ain't stronger or more badass than Brock Lesnar. And I completely forgot the beating, the kind of beating this dude took. You got to remember, in 2015, as a Daniel Bryan fan, I was pissed off, not at Roman Reigns, but pissed off at WWE for forcing Roman Reigns down our throats. I was also pissed because Sting, in his WWE debut, his WrestleMania debut, lost to triple freaking H, <laughs> not cool, not cool, at least from a longtime WCW fan like myself. But that's another story for another day. So going into that match at the time, I was just, I was already kind of pissed off. I was happy Seth Rollins won. And it was kind of cool to see Brock Lesnar kill Roman Reigns. But I don't know, I guess I just didn't appreciate it at the time, given everything that was going on and all the behind the scenes stuff. But watching this match in a vacuum, seeing the beating Roman Reigns took, seeing how he valiantly came back, 
I got to say, objectively speaking, all these years later, the best move with the benefit of hindsight, knowing how everything played out, might have been for Roman Reigns to just outright win the world title. And had he fallen on his face after that, and he had to you know, go to Seth Rollins or somebody else, then he could have done that. But it would have been nice to see Roman Reigns truly sink or swim from the beginning rather than having these false starts and then he gets the title, then he doesn't get the title. But my God, he had a great performance in this match. Brock Lesnar had a great performance in this match. Seth Rollins, for the few minutes he was in it, had a great performance in this match. And this is one of the better WrestleMania main events in history, even before the cash-in. It's one of the best WrestleMania main events, I think, in recent history. It really is. I mean, if you really think about just the last match, right? It wasn't as good as Daniel Bryan versus Batista and Randy Orton. But it was better than the two Rock and Cena matches. It was better than The Miz and John Cena. You can make the argument in a way... Not psycho. I, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't think it was better than Shawn Michaels' Undertaker at WrestleMania 2026. Uh, you know, in 2010. Uh, but you know, it was better than the last match at WrestleMania 25, which is Randy Orton versus Triple H. You know, you you can make the argument it was better than Triple H and Batista. So, yeah, I mean, it was. It was I think it's one of the more underrated WrestleMania main events. So great stuff from all involved. I think I think a classic main event, honestly. And then you get to WrestleMania 32. Triple H as the champion and the evil authority figure defending against Roman Reigns. I hated this match. I thought it was slow and boring. Uh, I love Triple H's in-ring work, but there uh, is one major flaw in Triple H's career at times, and that is that no matter what the crowd says, no matter what the position is of the match at the time of the show, Triple H, by God, is going to do his damn match. And he's not going to care if you like it or you don't. He's just going to do his match. And a lot of times it works out well. Other times, not so well. And this was one of those times where it did not work out so well. WrestleMania 32, Arlington, Texas, Cowboy Stadium. Set a huge attendance record. Biggest WrestleMania of all time. Show ran very long. This was the start of these marathon WrestleManias, uh, which peaked with WrestleMania 33 being a seven-hour show. And it saw Roman Reigns defeat Triple H to win a WWE title. I remember barely staying awake for his match. I think this match ended damn near close to midnight. It was just it was just ridiculously long. And oh, and look, to be fair, if this had taken place at the ten o'clock hour, maybe I would, I would have a, a much different opinion of this match. But by God, the, 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 and the thing is too, this was a blood feud. Triple H had bloodied Roman Reigns. Beat him down with a sledgehammer. Just whooped his ass from pillar to post. And in this match, they had some brawling, but it was just slow and plodding. And, you know, this was kind of like the, the Triple H Randy Orton match at WrestleMania 25. We expected a fight, and then it just was like a slow, boring, plodding match. Like, no, I wanted to see a fight. I wanted to see kind of similar to what was, uh, you know, uh, on the card the following year, Brock Lesnar and, and Goldberg at WrestleMania 33. Those guys just beat the hell out of each other for five minutes, and that was a wrap. And it was great. And it was probably the best match on that show. I wanted to see that. But no, we got a Triple H wrestling match, and it wasn't that good. Notable spot uh, being uh, Stephanie accidentally got speared. And then, yeah, Brock Lesnar got, the, or sorry, Roman Reigns got the win. One, two, three. WWE champion. So from a match quality standpoint, not great at all. From an accomplishment standpoint, pretty damn great. Beat Triple H in the main event of WrestleMania. Won the world title. 
All fun and games, right? But no, because Roman Reigns would have some rough times after this. He'd fail a drug test, get suspended for 30 days, uh, feud over the U.S. title. But slowly but surely, got back into the top mix. And I got to say, since that time at WrestleMania 32, which was kind of boring, he's probably been one of the most consistently good to great in-ring performers in WWE. So props to Roman Reigns there. Although, unfortunately, the trend of underwhelming Roman Reigns matches continued at WrestleMania 33 because while he did close out the show yet again in Orlando, Florida, it was against The Undertaker, who at the time was 52 years old. This was not a good match. A notable spot, blown spot, being they were trying to do like a reverse tombstone or, or you know, reverse each other's tombstone attempts, and Undertaker and, and Reigns just kind of collapsed. And it was just very sad. Roman Reigns got the win. He said on Raw the next night, it's his yard now. And fast forward, WrestleMania 34, he's set to face Brock Lesnar again for the Universal Championship. I think he's going to win. I think he's going to have a great match. And when I look back, this career of Roman Reigns has, is a complicated one. But there's no doubt he's accomplished a whole lot from a storyline and creative perspective. And there's no doubt he's accomplished a lot from an in-ring perspective. And yeah, while his matches at 32 and 33 at WrestleMania did underwhelm, it cannot be overlooked that this dude has main evented WrestleMania 31, 32, 33, on the verge of main eventing WrestleMania 34. If he's the the very last match at WrestleMania 34, that's going to be four straight headlining appearances at WrestleMania in the very last match. That's a record right there. And whether you agree with it or not, whether you like him or you don't, you cannot argue with the fact that he has had one hell of a WrestleMania run. And if there's one match that I'd recommend you guys watching, out of all these I listed, again, it is Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns won. I want to hear from you. Do you think that Roman Reigns belongs on the list of greatest WWE superstars in WrestleMania history? Let me know. Leave a comment below. Tweet us, Facebook us. Do what you got to do. If you enjoyed this video, please like, share, take care. Feel free to subscribe because we got plenty more greatest superstars in WrestleMania history videos coming your way. And until next time, as always, enjoy the matches and believe that. Unfortunately, I'm not as badass as Roman Reigns, so that didn't come off very well. Let me, let's, let's try that again. This is my yard now. E for effort. <laughs>